Hello, I'm Cassie Gillespie, and you're listening to Welcome to the Field, a podcast produced by the University of Vermont's Child Welfare Training Partnership and the State of Vermont. Welcome to the Field is designed for child welfare workers, caregivers, and community partners. However, this season, we will be talking all about uncomfortable conversations, and each episode will touch on a different type of uncomfortable conversation. So even if you're not working or caregiving in the child welfare field, this season might be for you. Today, we'll be speaking with Jan Fook about a reflective approach to uncomfortable conversations. Jan is originally an Australian social worker and academic, but she's also lived and worked in the UK, Norway, Canada, and has been here with us in the U.S. as the chair of the social work department at UVM since 2019. She is passionately interested in professional practice and the experiences we all have making a worthwhile difference with people we are trying to help. She is known internationally for her work on critical social work, and over the last 25 years, she has developed a way of practicing critical reflection, which is incorporated easily into everyday work. Jan's approach is now used and taught in several different countries, and in fact, Jan has published extensively about this and traveled widely teaching this model. In short, We are super excited and incredibly grateful that Jan's agreed to come spend some time with us here today. Here we go. Welcome, Jan. Thank you for having me. Ah, We're excited you came. Yes, I'm excited to be here, so thank you. (laughs) All right, so let's jump right in. I gave a little bit of an intro in the beginning, but where I'm thinking it makes sense to start is, can you tell our listeners, you know, what is a reflective approach? Okay, and I made some notes for myself and tried to answer this, and it made me reflect more. You'll be happy to know. Oh, (laughs) Um, that's perfect. And I think what I need to do is talk about what reflection is and then talk about a reflective approach that comes from that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So when I talk about reflection, I'm, I'm really talking about, well, the basic definition is learning from experience. Now, That sounds easy, but actually it's quite hard to do because what most of us tend to do is learn from a bad experience and we just decide we won't do that again. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, yeah. So learning from experience is really being able to develop really good principles and guidelines for living from any kind of experience, whether it be good or bad. We tend to remember the bad ones. Yeah, absolutely. So they're the ones we we learn from. Um, Now, how we do that is much harder. So the reflection that I teach is actually really involves people trying to think deeply about what is underneath their experience. So what are they assuming about their experience? What are they taking for granted about it that leads them to make that kind of meaning? Now, the beauty of that is, you would not credit this, but the beauty of it is it leads to a reflective approach in that it makes you think in different ways about yourself and how you approach other people. So a reflective approach tends to be one that is quite self-aware, for instance. Okay. Uh, And when you're more aware of yourself, you're much more than aware of how you're relating to other people and what you're assuming about them. So basically, it should make you easier to get on with. (laughs) I know that sounds funny. (laughs) Easier to get on with, but more attuned to other people because you're more attuned to yourself and you'll be able to see where that will lead in terms of having difficult conversations. Oh, perfect. That's perfect. So help me, help me visualize it. Um, 
or help our listeners visualize it. So we often have listeners, you know, the majority of our listeners are involved in the child welfare system some way or another. So they're workers or they're caregivers or they're youth or they're community partners. But we also have all kinds of folks who just listen who may or may not um, have ever sat in sort of a, a seminar discussion in a social work classroom. So help me understand what it might like, what does a reflective approach look like? What would you see when it's happening? Okay, so I think I'm, I'm just going to talk in practical terms. Yeah, yeah. Because that might be really helpful. You tend to see people who have a reflective mindset. That's what I tend to call it now rather than approach. Okay. A reflective mindset tends to be, one, that you are good at listening to other people. Two, you're not necessarily assuming what they mean, but you are constantly checking out what their meaning is. Three, you're actually able to hear perspectives that are very different from your own or interpretations that are very different from your own. Reflective approach means you tend to ask questions rather than just talk and impose your own viewpoint on other people. Mm. Uh, That's a hard one. And I can see how this is connecting to the difficult conversations. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think, again, being ready to understand and be aware of your own judgments that you might be imposing on a situation and being prepared to step back from those. But you can't really do that unless you're very good at listening Yeah, as well. So, yeah, that's sort of a few practical pointers anyway. That's helpful. I imagine, and I'll confess I'm going to go right off the question list here, so don't even look at it because it's not on there. <laughs> <laughs> What um, yeah. what are your recommendations for how to get underneath your own assumptions? Because these are, in my work, in a variety of different ways, we ask people all the time to kind of examine their own biases. But having your own biases become visible to yourself, that is such hard work. How do you uh, support people or how does your approach support people to get in there? Yeah, that is a fantastic question. Because I love it when the literature it just says examine your assumptions. Right. Well, unless you've tried to do that, <laughs> you've, it's very, very, very hard. And I have found people need to practice that. Yeah. So it may involve just asking a few really choice questions of yourself, like I wonder why I thought that. Oh. Okay. That's so simple. Yeah. Where did that come from? What did that mean to me when I had that kind of reaction? Why did I feel so angry about that? And what was that about? And then once you start asking those questions, it sort of makes it more obvious to you what you might be assuming about yourself or other people or the situation. But it can start with very, very, very simple questions. And simply being prepared to ask them, I find, is the starting point. Wonderful. So when we talk about this idea of a reflective mindset, who should be using it? Well, I would have said all the past presidents of the United States. Sorry, I had to get that joke in. Um, I I think that one of the things about reflection is we all say in in social work now, we all say that we're reflective. Yes. And everyone we don't like is not reflective. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. We do, yeah. So it can be used as a derogatory kind of a category, if you like. So I think the issue about reflection is that we all need to do it in different ways at different times. I actually think it is one of the essential components of living and just living a good life and being good to each other. Now, 
people don't like it when I say that, so I normally don't say that <laughs> because we meant to apply it to professional practice. Mm. But frankly, I think that if we all learn to reflect in different ways, we will understand each other better, we will understand ourselves better, and we will be able to relate in ways that can communicate better with each other. So in a sense, everyone should do it. It's not confined to a role. But what we do need to be able to do is work out best in what situations right. we need to be reflective and where it's going to be most helpful. And I always say that it's not the answer to everything, mm. but it is a good mindset to cultivate. In general, yeah. What are some of the situations where you would argue it's essential? I'm going to speak as a manager now. Okay. In management. Okay. Say more. Yeah. Well, when it is your role to monitor people's behavior or to get them to behave to a certain standard, these are not happy situations for right. most people. Yeah. Okay. So that those are, can be very difficult conversations since that's what we're talking about. Really, you need to cultivate different approaches to raising difficult topics with people. So reflection is really helpful if it puts yourself in the mindset and experience of the other person mm. because then you can think about how to phrase an issue or a question in a way that the person is most likely to respond to or engage with. Okay, now you can transfer that to many different situations, right, of right. course. But when there's a situation of a power imbalance or authority, I find that most useful yeah. to take a reflective approach. That makes sense. And if I put myself in the shoes of a caregiver or a child welfare worker, perhaps a reflective approach would also be useful when you're interacting with people who have significantly less power than you. So maybe that's the children, maybe that's families, right? Um, especially at maybe critical decision points in cases. Abs you can't see, yeah. but she's nodding. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think where there are power imbalances, it's most effective, mm. okay? Because most of us have assumptions about what a power imbalance is, and most of us are uncomfortable yeah. in those situations as well. So really thinking about Putting yourself in the other person's position is a reflective position because you have to think about, well, how might they see me, mm. for instance, and how might they interpret what I'm going to say? So what you try to do is divest yourself. If you're the person in power, you try to divest yourself of communicating in a way that just communicates power, for mm. instance. And I usually find that the best way to do that is just to be open to listening to the mm -hmm. other person and trying to understand their perspective and what they're on about. It actually does work wonders, I have to say. It sounds so simple, but it's hard for us to do that when we're in a position of authority. Right, right. And that is a caregiver, a parent. A social worker. A social worker, a childcare worker. Mm -hmm. They're all positions of authority. A supervisor. Yep. yep. So I think you've sort of backed us into our next question, which is asking about principles, right? Which principles are really helpful if you're trying to cultivate the skill set? Um, I know you shared some at the beginning, but are there any others you want to highlight? Yes, I love this question. <laughs> In fact, I just taught critical reflection this morning at UVM and we talked about some of this. Oh, marvellous. Yeah. So I always say critical reflection is a set of techniques and yes, the set of techniques gets you to a reflective approach, but it's also the climate and the culture that you create around that 
Okay. Okay. So you can't really be open to someone else unless you're non-judgmental. Right. So that's a first really important principle. You can't really listen properly to different perspectives unless you accept the idea that there will be different perspectives. <laughs> and that and yours may be wrong. Well, or that <laughs> two opposite perspectives can still sit together. Mm. And that's quite hard for people to do because we're used to trying to divide right and wrong. Right and wrong, yeah. yeah. I just did it. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, and then you notice there's only two categories, yeah. right and wrong. So if you need a mindset of saying, well, actually, there might be 50 different perspectives, they might all look really different from each other, but they could all be right. Right, right. Um, that's a hard one to cultivate. Yeah. Um, I think the idea of just being open to hearing about perspectives that are really difficult for you to hear, but actually saying that's okay. That's a hard one as well. But there's some of the principles that go into creating a, a, a climate where you can listen more effectively and understand more effectively. What would you say to folks who are invested in not opening themselves up to other perspectives, right? Because sometimes... I think in any professional workspace, personal lives too, you see people who are a little bit guarded about not having to listen to perspectives that they find challenging or different. And what what would you say to someone? I don't know that many people would raise their hand and say, you know, I actively refuse to listen to other people. But um, what would you say to someone who is a little more guarded about bringing in other perspectives? This is a lovely question, Cassie, and it's a hard one. And and I think I'm I'm talking. This is. Dreadful. I'm talking like a manager now, but I can't help it because <laughs> I think it's managers who, who have the most difficulty yeah. with, with this issue. I often start by asking a reflective question. I wonder what you thought the other person was thinking. Mm. I wonder why you thought they did that. What do you imagine about their experience that made them do that? So, and it, again, you'll see my class always laughs at me because I'm always saying I wonder. Yeah. But that does capture the spirit of it in some ways. I'm not imposing a viewpoint, but I'm inviting the person to consider. And even that phrase is an important phrase to use. Inviting someone to consider? Yeah, yeah. Not saying you're wrong or why maybe this other person thought something different. It's just inviting it to come from them mm -hmm. to think about a different viewpoint. Yeah. And some, in some ways, put themselves in that person's shoes, which is not saying that that person is right, but it's pointing out that there might be a very different set of experiences that I couldn't even imagine right. that could be behind it. So I'm being invited to use my imagination as well. That's marvellous. So are there particular ways, I think you're sort of leading right into it here with this, be invited to use your imagination and to consider alternative perspectives. Are there other ways that you would suggest people can practice or try on communicating reflectively? The very easiest way is always ask a question mm. as opposed to a statement or impose something. Now, you can make a statement in a questioning way, like, I'm thinking that you meant this when you said that. Is, is that the case? Okay, so always, again, softening the statement so that you're opening it up for the other person's point of view and to hear them. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a really, really easy starting point. I think the other thing is being curious. My class always laughs at me also because I say I'm curious about. Yeah. But. It's all wonder and curiosity yeah. from you. 
But I mean, I, th- I think I've heard you talk like that too, Cassie. <laughs> oh, she got me. I had to say that. <laughs> but it's those are very helpful phrases, I think, for indicating that you're open to hearing yeah. and understanding and listening. And it's very simple. I will say, just from reading a lot about communication, this is the kind of thing that women tend to do more easily because they're used to sort of softening their opinions and viewpoints in order to be more relational. So relational is another word that we could use here. Right. It isn't about imposing who we are. It is about trying to understand, make a bridge between us and the other person. Yeah. Okay, so I know you've done, or let me phrase this differently. Tell me a little bit about some of the workshops you've done and maybe some of the examples that have come out of them. Um, Because I think even though we're talking about all these different communication skills, it can be really nice to help the listeners kind of visualize what happens here. Yeah, okay. Nice question. Um, I have mostly done workshops for social work practitioners. In fact, this time at UVM is one of the first times I've actually taught critical reflection in a social work program, would Mm -hmm. you believe? I'm normally teaching practitioners, often managers, uh, in London, where I, I used to live in the UK, I think we said, in London, I did a whole series of workshops for um, the, I forget what it was called in London. <laughs> I was going to say DCF, it's not called that there. Oh, yeah, the Children's but, Bureau yeah, or something. Yeah, I so Child Welfare, anyway. Yes. Um, and I would do workshops for on-the-ground practitioners, for team leaders, and also for more senior managers and, of course, modified it for each of those. For the managers, it was more thinking about how they could incorporate a critically reflective approach into their whole team or section or area. Now, one of the standout examples for me from from doing a workshop with managers, this is just so simple but fascinating, was that a lot of the managers said one of their issues was how to get people to go to meetings Mm -hmm. because they were very unhappy that they had very low attendance. So, and, And I said, well, what do you do about that? Oh, well, we try to introduce a system of rewards for people who go to meetings. I mean, I have to confess I laughed. I said, have you thought about asking them why they're not coming to meetings? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Such a simple... Yeah. I mean, it's not even reflection, critical reflection, is it? It's just a simple way of being relational. It's just an opening, yeah. Yeah, but again, it's about showing that you're interested in what the other person's experience is. And then you build a bridge to talk about whatever the issue is. I mean, giving people a system of rewards is treating them like what? Performing animals. Or, yeah, very small children. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I found that just that was such a fascinating example, but also the group found that really interesting because they hadn't thought about it, these sorts of things, in an alternative way. Oh, how interesting. Are there any other examples from your workshops that you want to share with us? Yeah, I I will tell you... um, Some of the insights I think that practitioners have come to now, um, I hope none of my students are listening because I always talk about this experience, but it sticks with me. (laughs) Um, There was a man who was a very experienced social worker. In fact, he was so experienced, he had been nominated as an expert social worker to be part of a study that I was doing. He engaged in critical reflection and 
in doing that, he brought a story from his experience that he wanted to learn from. Mm -hmm. The story was the first time he'd had to remove a child Mm. from his family, and that had occurred 20 years earlier. He was in such grief over it that he actually cried when he presented the story. 20 years later. Yep. Now, what we were able to do is help him reflect, what was his thinking underneath that? Why did he think it was so bad to be grieved about that situation? Turned out he assumed that because he was professional, he's not wasn't supposed to have any negative feelings mm, The old whatsoever. professionalism thing. Yeah, he should have dealt with them. So we examined what his assumptions about being a good professional were and he ended up changing his thinking to think about, well, maybe I was a good professional because I felt so deeply about that and I cared so deeply. And so he ended up thinking of himself as being a good social worker after that. So what the process tends to do is help people revise their thinking in a way that seems to work for them in the present day. Yeah. So you can understand why he was grieving. Absolutely. But holding that for 20 years and seeing himself as a bad social worker was not true. <laughs> I wasn't going to use the word true, but it wasn't for him. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Listening to you, I think that some of the terms we use to talk about those experiences in the workplace are maybe secondary trauma or trauma exposure response in the workplace. What is your response or or what are your thoughts about the relationship between traumas, right, things that we would identify as traumas, and the things that people want to open up and explore through a critical reflection process? Um, Terribly hard question, Cassie. I have some thoughts about the concept of trauma. I thought you might. And in relation to critical reflection, I think it's important to recognise that there's many different emotions Mm -hmm. and some of them may be best labelled as trauma and others may not. I think one of the issues that comes up in critical reflection is often people are traumatised because their experience has been labelled as trauma. Mm. And what that says to me is that often our fashionable or current ways of thinking about experience do not fit the experience of the person. Mm -hmm. In fact, this is what often occurred to me when first doing critical reflection is that many workers experienced a dilemma because the available concepts and theories did not feel that they were authentic mm-hmm. in terms of the person's own experience as they perceived it. So what we try to do with critical reflection is find an authentic way of understanding that experience, which may not even be in the literature Mm -hmm. may not have even been articulated before. Sometimes trauma fits, and sometimes if a worker can say, well, that was actually traumatising, just acknowledging that is helpful. But trying to fit their experience into trauma doesn't always work. So what we try to do is we create a category or words that work for how that person perceives their experience. And so is that person instrumental in creating the category of words themselves. So it's their words. Absolutely vital part of critical reflection. Once people get their assumptions out and they start to understand more what that means for them, we then help them put words to it. So I call that developing their own theory of practice. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And people love it. That's the creative side of it. Yeah. Okay. So you've worked with many people over many years in many countries doing this. 
What are some of the benefits you've noticed for people? Sorry, I'm, I can't help myself from laughing <laughs> because I'm remembering some of the really interesting things that people have said. The one that really surprised me the most was they said, I've learned to be kind to myself and each other. Mm. Because often social workers in particular are very judgmental of ourselves and other people. Yeah. Actually, even though we say we're not, we are. And that kindness and generosity, I think, is so important. But it means that once we can extend that to ourselves, we can do it for other people. Mm-hmm. So the ability to work with people who are really different from us and to understand and accept them is such a positive thing. The second biggest thing that happens is people often come with what they see as a dilemma. So when they talk about their experience, it's a dilemma for them that they can't resolve. Like the man with the experience of the child's removal. And, and they just can't move on. Mm-hmm. It stays with them. What critical reflection seems to do is allows them to move on because they find a different way of seeing it and also integrating it into themselves and who they see themselves as. And it's very freeing. Actually, they talk about feeling liberated or empowered or freed, actually. It's like the dilemma has kept them in some kind of bonds. Yeah. And then they can move on. So it's, yeah, it's it's actually really delightful to experience. It I sounds like healing. Say. It is kind of a healing, yeah. That's wonderful. What would you say has surprised you the most in your work, the critical reflection? I think, and I say this with a little bit of sadness, one of my students characterized critical reflection as radical listening. Now, I I know that's a term that's been around. It surprised me that we had to learn that (laughs) Mm. (laughs) because I thought that we should do that naturally. Yeah. And I know how we learn as social workers to be empathic, but that's not the same as really deep listening. Right. And we don't do that well because often as professionals, we feel we have to have the answers. Yes. We have to have them quickly. We have to be right. We have to be right. And that stops us listening and understanding an experience which might be really different. So it's a little bit threatening, I think, to to open yourself up to hear a very different experience and to realise you didn't understand that mm-hmm. or that you didn't know that before. So I'm kind of surprised that that's the way we've reacted and what we've need to learn. Yeah. And and I've I've really worked at helping people to learn that. That's in a, in some ways what the critical reflection process does. It's really all about. Mm. That's marvelous. Um, this is a little bit of a teaser, but our episode next week is with a man named Corey B. Best. And I think bringing a critically uh, reflective approach to, you know, for any listeners out there will challenge you to use some of Jan's wisdom as you're listening to our very next episode, because Corey will offer a very uh, different perspective than many folks have offered previously. Okay, so we're we're running short on time. This is always the the no fun part. What, if people are only going to walk away with one thing, what do you want them to take away from this conversation, Jan? I think there's something about humility. Ooh. Um, And I'm also calling a reflective space a courageous and generous one. Okay. Uh, And you also learn humility in doing that. And I know these will sound like funny things because you can't run a course on humility. I bet we could. (laughs) I don't know how many people would take it. That's fair. Um, but it is something about reinforcing those really, really, really basic values mm-hmm. of being relational that's so important because I think we have lost the art of doing that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 
that's that's a good takeaway. Okay. So relational and generosity and courage and humility. Um, for our listeners who are just smitten with you, where can they find you? Where can they learn more about what you do and what you know? Oh, from this podcast? Yes. <laughs> we'll put some show links up too. <laughs> Sorry. Um, this is a very good question. I have published a lot, but I tend not to think about what I've published. So <laughs> probably the best book is one called Practicing Critical Reflection, which is written by myself and Fiona Gardner. This is going to sound very funny because I don't think it's available anymore. <laughs> but that's the book that actually outlines the whole process. If you just Google my name, mm-hmm. lots of books will come up. Okay. And we can put um, on our website with your biography and all those things, we can put a link to some of your publications as well. Thanks. That's great. All right. Well, thanks for coming in and talking with us. This has been wonderful. Great pleasure. Thank you. Welcome to the Field is produced by the University of Vermont's Child Welfare Training Partnership and the State of Vermont. Our theme music is composed and performed by local band Brick Drop. And our sound production and engineering is brought to you by Egan Media Productions. We'd also like to give a special thank you to our in-house technical production assistant, Emma Baird. For Welcome to the Field, I'm Cassie Gillespie, and we'll see you next time.